Each and every day, we put on our hard hats and our steel-toed boots, we kiss our families goodbye, and we begin the tough work to energize the great United States of America. For over 20 years, Scott Angel has led the fight to balance the three E's, environment, energy, and economy. Now, he's sitting down for a cup of coffee with the most influential energy leaders in the country to celebrate and elevate the American energy worker. This is Balancing the Three E's podcast with your host, Scott Angel, the voice of the USA energy worker. Good morning. Good morning from the USA energy worker studio in the heart of Cajun country as we enjoy a cup of coffee this morning and just really want to have a conversation with America about a very important issue, and that is energy. I'm your host, Scott Angel, the voice of the USA Energy Worker, where our podcast always focuses on the contributions of our USA Energy Workers as they work daily to balance the three E's of environment, energy, and economy. You'll continue to hear about the three E's from me because we believe it's a very important part of the path forward for America. And we certainly believe and we know that nobody does it better than the USA energy worker and they deserve our support. And as we always say here, we believe in the old cliche that if you can read, thank a teacher. We'd like to add, if you can read at night in your warm or cool home, thank a teacher and a USA energy worker. Again, a special shout out to our teachers as they begin this new school year. What an incredible profession and really a vocation. So we very, very much appreciate our teachers. Today, we're trying to celebrate the contributions of our USA energy workers. And you know, when we talk about the USA energy worker, nothing is more important than their safety. That's why I was so excited during my tenure as the director of the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement to be recognized for safety improvements by the Government Accountability Office. This is a nonpartisan fact-based agency. And they released a report in March of 2021, specifically quoting the significant improvements that were made to safety, environmental stewardship, and energy security goals. Again, a very special shout out to my Bessie teammates at the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement for all the work that they did to help turn the agency around compared to the unflattering report that the GAO uh, issued and I inherited in May of 2017. You know, when we talk about offshore energy, I think a couple of other observations worth sharing. According to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, it is the second safest high hazard industry in America, second only to nuclear power generation. It has the second lowest carbon intensity production per barrel on the planet and the lowest in the United States. The Gulf of Mexico is among the lowest producing provinces when it comes to the ratio of venting and flaring of methane when compared to produced gas. So really an all-star kind of rock star province that the nation owns here in the Gulf of Mexico. And certainly our USA energy workers are helping to produce so many products that many of us use in our daily lives. In fact, over 6,000 products from tires to eyeglasses to pharmaceuticals. At USA Energy Workers, we certainly believe the path to balancing those three E's of environment, energy, and economy runs 
right through the USA energy worker. You see, we've had six recessions from 1973 to 2019, and each one of those recessions have been preceded by a spike in energy prices. It's not debatable, as goes America's access to affordable energy, so goes our economic performance. And the way to achieve affordable energy is through access to domestic resources. That's why we were shocked to learn in October 2021 that the White House was calling on OPEC to increase foreign production while vilifying American energy. You know, we believe that asking OPEC to increase production is not a solution. It's an insult, an insult to the USA energy workers. And let me make it very clear at USA Energy Workers, we fully understand energy transition, or as some would say, energy addition of renewables. We believe in that. But transitions presuppose a plan. And with that said, I'd like to introduce today's guest. From down the bayou, deep in Louisiana, Chet Chasson, the executive director of the Greater Lafouche Port Commission, which includes Port Fouchon as one of its assets. I can tell you, although this particular port is owned by the Lafouche Parish government and the people of Lafouche Parish, this asset is not a local asset. It's not even a regional asset. It is an absolute national asset, and it is a critical energy asset for all of America. In fact, it is America's largest energy service port. Certainly a long distinguished history of oil and gas service no doubt, but more recently expanding to accommodate offshore wind fabrication opportunities, Port Fouchon is indeed a rock star for America. Chet's a dear friend of mine. He's a real leader. He's testified to Congress. He's vice chairman of the American Association of Port Authorities, Board of Directors. He believes energy and environment can work together. He's recently been selected to the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management's Gulf of Mexico Wind Task Force. I tell you, when you uh, read Chet's resume and the things that he's involved in, it's absolutely amazing. I'm thankful for his contributions in his public service. I'm thankful for what he does every day. And uh, I know not only is he a great leader, but he's a great husband and a great father. And we're very, very happy to to welcome him. So, uh, Chet, let me say hello to you, my friend. Hello, Scott. How are we doing today? Well, it's good to hear your voice. And I know as we kind of talk about, you know, just having this conversation with America about offshore energy, you the right guy to talk. Uh, but before we get to those things, a couple of things, perhaps maybe a little bit more important. And and I know we got college football season getting ready to kick off in America and, and certainly hunting season just around the corner in Louisiana. So uh, I know that while you're excited to talk about uh, some of the things going on at Port Fouchon and in offshore energy, if I don't watch myself, this conversation could take a direct path to college football and hunting season. So we're going to have to keep an eye on you, certainly. But welcome to the show and happy to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And uh, and yes, college football is one of my loves among many. Uh, so we'll make sure we stay on task today. One of the things I really wanted to get in with you as we kind of talk about this whole offshore energy, right? I think it's important for America to understand the value and the importance of Port Fouchon. I would suspect that a lot of people even struggle to even pronounce that, right? And so we're bringing a little Cajun flavor to that. But it really has been incredible when you take a look at, at what you guys have been able to do to help 
energize and fuel this great country. I really want to spend a little time talking today about the importance of Port Fouchon and the energy worker that you are interacting with every day over there. Tell our national audience some of the metrics around the port, maybe a little bit of history and how important you think it is to the country. Yeah, look, Port Fouchon is America's energy services port. 100% of the deep water assets in the U.S. Gulf of Mexico are serviced out of Port Fouchon. And when you couple that with Louisiana Offshore Oil Port and Loop and the services we provide to them out of Port Fouchon and our customers provide to them out of Port Fouchon, we play some key role in about 16% of the nation's oil supply. I mean, that is that is significant. And, you know, Port Fouchon, uh, like you said, not too many people even can uh, pronounce it properly. Not many people get to see it. And um, over the years, we've worked hard uh, with you and a number of other other folks from congressional delegations to governorships to DNR secretaries to all of the different uh, groups and agencies that we can we can tap into to bring the people that matter here to Port Fouchon to show them what we're doing in Louisiana and in Southern Lafourche Parish. Yeah, it's been it's been quite impressive to kind of witness some of that, to be a part of it. And I think it's a, a really smart observation when you describe to the American audience that, you know, it's not the easiest place to get to. You have to make an effort to be there. So it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But it's this workhorse that just keeps helping. And when you talk about, you know, 16 percent, that's one in every six, maybe one in every six and a half barrels of oil that's produced in America, directly impacted by the things that happen at Port Fouchon. And, and one of the things when you take a look at the history, again, a, a local government coming together, going to their state legislature, getting legislation passed, setting it up, and you guys having a history of doing it the right way. The American people are the beneficiaries of it. Certainly, Louisiana folks are the beneficiaries of it through jobs, no doubt. But clearly, Port Fouchon is connected to every single American at the gas pump. Uh, and I would shudder to to think of where we would be if it were not for the contributions. You know, one of the things that we do in the show is we always talking about the importance of the USA energy worker. Tell us and tell America, you know, describe the USA offshore energy worker. You know, how does he get to work? He's, you know, a thousand feet of water. How does that work? And what can you tell America about the work ethic of our offshore USA energy workers? Absolutely. When I think of the typical offshore energy worker, it's a a person that loves America, first and foremost, loves their family, is passionate about their family, their work. The, the way they operate in terms of their job, everything must be safe. They must be thinking about the environment as they're providing the energy needs for this country. Um, you know, it's, it's all about family values, work values, hard work, uh, people that, that just continue to work hard every day to provide for their families, to provide the energy for our nation, and they're proud to do so. And um, as hard as they like to work, they play just as hard. <laughs> they love they love football, and they absolutely love LSU football and all the other regional teams that we have. Yeah, that's uh, that that's that's pretty pretty right on. You know, as I, I know some of these folks and have had the opportunity to visit, I, I think the thing that comes clear to me is 
how proud the folks that put on their hard hats and their steel toe boots, kissed their families goodbye and set out to produce the offshore energy for this country. How very proud they are. Yeah, they leave in behind uh, some very prized possessions, their family, their property, and they're setting out often for an extended number of days, uh, perhaps weeks sometimes. But you agree, right? Uh, that that sense of pride of knowing that we producing are responsible here in the Gulf of Mexico for for one in every six, one in every seven barrels of oil. Just really, really, kind of this. We gonna get up every day. We, we gonna make it happen. And is some special in the water, or what? What is it over there in Southern Lafourche Parish that makes it happen that way? Yeah, I, look, the the sense of pride is is strong, and and I think it's because. The, the people that work offshore, uh, people that come through Port Fouquet, look, 15,000 people per month are flown offshore and back inshore to offshore locations that we support out of Port Fouquet. You said 15,000. I want to make sure our listeners hear that number. <laughs> Absolutely. 15,000 people are transported via helicopters offshore to structures in the U.S. Gulf of Mexico to, to work and provide those energy needs for this country. That that the pride is there and and they they're although this industry unfortunately is, is attacked oftentimes, they still, as you said, put on their steel toes and hard hats, kiss their families goodbye, and go do what's necessary to provide the energy needs for this country. You kinda of almost think that, you know, they can see past the rhetoric. Uh, they can see past the falsehoods and and you can kind of almost sense that they know that the metrics about offshore energy, about uh, having low carbon intensity production, about being the home of perhaps the most climate advantaged production in all of the United States. You, you, you can sense that they, they know that, they feel it, they kind of take the rhetoric that they hear coming out of our nation's capital and just kind of let it roll off their back and, again, just set out to do that work. I, I know when I interact with them, Chet, uh, and I just kind of hear some of their stories, these, these, these are the folks that you want in a foxhole with you. Absolutely. And it's look, it's their ingenuity. It's their capabilities that have allowed the barrel of oil coming out of the U.S. Gulf of Mexico to be the lowest carbon-intensive barrel of oil uh, that we can produce. Probably not only having an impact on the Gulf of Mexico, that innovation, in, but, but also probably uh, I suspect there's a lot of Boudreaux and Thibodeaux that have had contributions to places like Alaska or perhaps the North Sea with some of the Cajun engineering that's coming out of the Gulf of Mexico. That, that is correct. Look, I, I know people personally that have gone and worked in, in Alaska that work for some local companies that operate up there as well and in other places around the world. I mean, it's, it's the people that are working in the United States. It's our American energy worker that is providing the knowledge and expertise for less carbon-intensive footprint for a barrel of oil around the world. I mean, it's, it's what we're doing here in the United States that's providing the rest of the world with the ability to do these things. And, and I think, again, that it comes back around to that pride that we have in our state, in our region, and in our country. Yeah, that, that's well said. So we, we definitely want to give a special shout out to today to our offshore energy workers for, for those contributions. You know, again, I, I think folks need to also understand that an offshore energy worker has to get to work one of two ways, in a boat or a helicopter. They don't have the wherewithal of taking an escalator or elevator. 
everything or pickup truck, the subway, it's all about the risk associated with marine and air travel, which is a significant, significant exposure for them. But again, I've all taken it very seriously and uh, have done a really great job. When we talk about the importance of the Gulf itself, you know, I, I, I'm very concerned about some of the the regulation that I often say regulation that leads to strangulation. Look, no doubt as a former regulator, there's always a place for an appropriate amount of regulation, but regulation cannot be signing a death certificate. And in a lot of cases, we start to see some of the regulatory issues coming out of Washington, almost trying to look, recognize and perhaps that it is a great province in terms of its carbon intensity, a great province in the metric of flared invented methane. But in spite of that, really trying to pick a variety of subjects. And now the latest one is the one about the federal government incorporating binding stipulations for the upcoming lease sale to protect a new species called the rice as well. Now, I want listeners to understand that my father was the secretary of the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, so I have a great appreciation for our woods, our waters, and our species. It looks like this one is coming in with not a whole bunch of documentation that we've now discovered a new species of whale and is being named the rice as well. And when I read this, I was a little shocked. Again, you and I both, we're very familiar with rice and gravy, maybe yeah. not so much as uh, the rice as well. And I noticed a very thoughtful editorial by Court Ramsey with the National Ocean Industries Association, we all know as NOIA. Court did a really, really great job. You have to be kind of beginning to wonder as an American of the stipulations that are being placed and starting to figure out the impact that these stipulations are going to have on the ability of our energy companies to harvest the resources of the Gulf of Mexico. What was your first reaction when I think it actually came out as a notice to lessee for current operations and then binding stipulations for upcoming lease sales? What was your first reaction? What you what you thinking down the bayou on this one? Yeah, look, it's um, it was like a, a, a shock to to us when when this started to come out and you look several months back we started to see where NOAA through the Department of Commerce and NOAA National Marine Fisheries were starting to look at this rice's whale that we had never heard of before right here in the Gulf of Mexico and they were putting out some documentation and starting to hear that they were going to take comments about the impacts that it would have on on shipping if they implemented some restrictions. And then just recently, we see this sue and settle issue that came out where the Sierra Club sued NOAA and National Marine Fisheries as part of the Endangered Species Act. And then it immediately turned around and, as you mentioned, uh, brought on from BOEM a notice to lessees that basically said it was going to immediately impact the oil and gas operations in the U.S. Gulf of Mexico, just a further attack on the people in our country that are trying to provide the energy needs for this nation. And for the listeners that probably have not heard about this, basically what this is saying is that from Brownsville, Texas, all the way across the Gulf of Mexico to just south of Tampa, Florida, off the coast there's an area between about um, 100 meters of water and 400 meters of water. So in, you know, to give or take 300 feet 
to 1,200 feet of water. That is a 10-knot transportation rule, meaning a vessel cannot go above 10 knots, and you can only operate during daylight hours. Zero operations through that area at nighttime. I don't have to tell you, but I will say that that is going to impact the daily operations of oil and gas exploration and production at a, a, a horrible rate. It's going to be detrimental to the operations of uh, our oil and gas industry. And then if you further uh, exacerbate the issues by this impacts every shipping lane in the Gulf of Mexico, meaning think about cruise ships, container ships, our movement of LNG and other petroleum products that the world desperately needs, as well, you know, food, grains, all those things that come up and down the Mississippi River, the Calcasieu Ship Channel, the Houston Ship Channel, and all the others across the Gulf Coast. This will have a detrimental impact on all the movements of products, goods, and services. And I, I don't know if the people who are trying to enforce this, the, the agencies trying to enforce this, realize how detrimental of an impact this will have on our energy needs, our food, and all of the other things that travel through maritime commerce. Now, let me let me follow up on that because I've been trying to keep up with this issue, and that was a really great explanation. Um, as I first appreciated, the notice to lessees that was issued by the Department of Interior only applies to oil and gas uh, exploration and production vessels. So in a sense, saying that the science that the government has, they only believe that they will put out a recommended practice for exploration and production-oriented vehicles. You began to speak about some of the the other issues, the Carnival Cruise Lines, perhaps the LNG tankers, perhaps food-carrying cargo vessels. Am I right in saying that the NTL and perhaps where we are today, and maybe what you were talking about, what is coming, but where we are today, the government has only targeted the energy sector? That is 100% correct. Right. So when you talk about the things that you mentioned, wake up, America. We have the camel's nose in the tent here where the government, in an effort to protect a species, a new species called the rice as well, where there's really not a whole bunch of substantial evidence to warrant these sweeping bans. But it's amazing that in spite of very little evidence, the targeted industry is the energy industry. So it's not going to be realistic for that particular ban, in our view here, to stand unless they try to make it apply to all vessels, which will have catastrophic impact on this country. And you laid it out clearly. And when we think about some of the, the impacts, isn't it ironic in the name of the environment that we would be having a negative impact on Gulf of Mexico energy production? which is the most climate-advantaged energy production in America, the second most climate-advantaged energy production on the planet. And recently, much of the White House with regards to Ukraine and Russia has been about, we are going to backfill the European Union's need for LNG, and obviously the LNG vessels would have to come through this border or area that you were speaking to, and so how do we rationalize the promises that we have made to the European Union 
that we are going to be that supplier of energy at the same time now beginning to have these restrictions on the shipping channels in favor of a species that we just recognized, just discovered, and yet the evidence on its population and the science behind it is very, very suspect at this point. You got to believe, you got to believe, Chet, that that energy workers are being targeted. Absolutely. It's hard to wrap your head around it. It defies all logic. It defies all common sense. It just doesn't make any sense. So when you, when you try to think rationally about how to combat that or try to discuss with these agencies how to move through it and, and get past it so that we can continue to do the work that we're passionate about every day. It's like you can't get through, right? Because it doesn't go with logic. It doesn't go with common sense. It doesn't go with the way we think about how to provide energy for our country. And then the fact that that's going to move forth and, and impact all maritime commerce, it destroys your ability to operate efficiently, which means when we talk about efficiency in the maritime industry, we're talking about utilizing that vessel to the best of its ability with the lowest carbon intensity footprint. So you want to talk about the impact to the environment when you cannot efficiently maneuver vessels then it, it costs more to the environment. And, and that's not what we're trying to do here. One of the, the things that's, that's been interesting to me has been when you look at this section that's just off of, in the Gulf of Mexico, just off of Florida, between Florida and Alabama border, and then you go all the way around to the border of, of Mexico and the United States and Texas. In that entire section, there have only been Two unconfirmed reports of sightings of this rice's whale they're talking about. Remember what I just said? Two unconfirmed sightings. So they're saying they're making an assumption that they saw two rice's whales right, in right, that area right, 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 over right. the last year. So it's mind-boggling to me and I think to all of the maritime industry and the, the oil and gas industry that you can make this arbitrary notion and recommendation that because you saw potentially two unconfirmed whales in this area, that you should have such an impact on the operations of the Gulf of Mexico. Certainly an overreaction, no doubt, no doubt. And I kind of coined that phrase, regulation that leads to strangulation. And when we think of it, I was looking at some data. I don't have the up-to-date data, but I do know that from 2017 to at least 2021, and I'm sure that data has been updated. I just don't have access to it. There hasn't been a single marine mammal fatality from a vessel strike in the pursuit of exploration and production in the Gulf of Mexico. It's going back 2017. We'll have to get that updated information, get it confirmed. But from 2017 to 2021, the research that I was looking at not too long ago shows that there's a tremendous respect for marine life. And so it seems like we're chasing a problem that doesn't exist, right? We're What is the old cliche? We got a solution looking for a problem. I don't really get it. It doesn't have any measure of common sense. But I, I think when it comes to public policy and energy policy, lack of common sense seems to be where we're at. This has been an incredible, I think, opportunity to kind of walk through that issue with you. Uh, you've done an amazing job, I think, in making it very clear. And perhaps we could we could wake up uh, some of our listeners 
to pay attention a little bit more. Again, down here, we're very familiar with rice and gravy, not so much with the rice as well. And we need to make sure that we understand its impacts because they're going to start showing up at a zip code near you. I want to, Chad, again, thank you. I want to make sure that we're continuing to collaborate as we have. It was good to visit with you recently in person in your office. We certainly are keeping an eye on the Gulf of Mexico at this time of the year. We've been through some issues there. Your office and your people have been so resilient getting back. Again, recognizing how important the the port is. You know, I, I remember when I went down there for the last hurricane and your folks are really more worried about getting America's energy back stood up than they were about their own homes and their own families. Really, really amazing to watch. But, you know, if you know Lafouche Parish, you just know that everybody picks up a bucket and starts bailing and knows how to take care of each other. So so that's real good. Also, Chet would want our listeners to visit usaenergyworkers.com. We stood up a site that's designed to elevate and celebrate the contributions of our energy workers across America, and not just our oil and gas workers, certainly our traditional oil and gas workers, but all of our energy workers. You and I both come from a all of the above generation. We believe that there's room in America's portfolio for energy additions. We need to make sure that as we make those additions, that we do it in a thoughtful way, in a transparent way. You know, transitions presupposes there's going to be a plan. Uh, we don't see that. We just kind of see nilly-willy kind of public policy being thrown out there. Again, I want to thank you for your service and certainly uh, give you an opportunity to wrap up with any final comments. Thank you very much, Scott. And and look, um, for uh, uh, forget about this. I want to you know send our thoughts and prayers out to all those folks in Florida that took the brunt of Idalia today and are, and are still feeling the impacts. They have a, a little road ahead for them, and we understand that. We absolutely know what happens there when it comes to hurricanes. So we we, um, we appreciate them and understand what they're going through and certainly pray for them. Also, thank you. You may mention after Hurricane Ida, you came down here. We we certainly appreciate all the support that, that you gave and your team gave to us after Hurricane Ida. It, it really helped us to to kind of get over the hump and, and get our things moving because, as you said, our number one priority when folks had their houses were destroyed and they had no place to live, but they were here at work. They never gave up and they just kept coming uh, so that we could continue to provide those energy needs to, to this country because, uh, again, we take pride in what we do every day. Uh, so we really appreciate all the support that you gave us and your team gave us and uh, a number of other folks around around the state and around the country brought us after the storm. But look, Port Fouchon is here. We're a resilient people. We're a resilient community. And um, we're, we're going to be here for the long haul to continue to assist the offshore energy industry with providing the energy needs for this country. And we're proud to do that. And uh, thank you for this opportunity, for sure. Thank you so much. And as I wrap up for our listeners today, I want to remind everybody some of the things that we talked about today. Number one, we've had six recessions from 1973 to 2019 in America. Each one of those recessions were preceded by a spike in energy prices. As goes our access to affordable energy, so goes our economic performance. We sell more cars. We build more homes. We have lower food prices when we have affordable energy. We know what is happening on the food inflation for the last year in this country has been remarkable. And we believe about 40% of the overall inflation in this country is caused by energy inflation. 
the best way to avoid energy inflation is to make sure that we have access to our own domestic resources. And when we are doing that, and we're doing it in America, and we're doing it in the Gulf of Mexico, 73% or about 75%, I should say, of the oil that we import into America has a higher carbon intensity than production from the Gulf of Mexico. So we believe by producing more oil in the Gulf of Mexico, we can provide advantages to Mother Earth. We believe we can make Mother Earth healthier. We know that we can drive a higher economic performance by making energy affordable to Americans. Port Fouchon connected to everybody at the gas pump. Thank you. Special shout out to Chet and his team. And thank you all for joining us. Please visit us at www.usaenergyworkers.com. Thank you and wish everybody a great day. This has been Balancing the Three E's podcast with your host, Scott Angel, the voice of the USA Energy Worker, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. For more episodes or to find out more, visit us online at OGGN.com.